a thought struck me that before I begin my meditation today, my meditation, my message today, I wanted to thank each of you for being here, for taking the time to come and share this hour with one another. It's always good to see all of you. Old friends and new acquaintances. It's really not good to single anyone out, but I just feel I have to say that it is so good to see Louie sitting in that front row seat. <laughs> He told me Wednesday that he planned on being here. I, I just thought I am so looking forward to seeing that. So thank you, Louie. Gonna get a little misty. And it may happen again before the morning is over. We'll see. Jim asked me, Maybe saw him come up here if I was going to explain a little bit about why the person he said who last week was said was going to be speaking today is not here. And I said I'm going to I'm going to touch on it so that'll happen. But let me begin like this. It was about eight o'clock this past Tuesday morning as I settled into the rhythm of my ski machine, strategically placed on the far edge of our river-facing deck, that the swirling thoughts of finding a substitute for the speaker who would be unable to meet her appointment with you here this morning because of COVID, it was about that time that those swirling thoughts be calmed. The multiple flower beds forming an arc that encompassed my whole field of vision were silently calling to me. The two beds of shaded hosta to my left, the sweep of white snake root giant purple hyssop, David Phlox and sweet black-eyed Susan in the centrally located back garden, and the oval bed of purple and intermingled white daisies. I said daisies, I meant dahlias, white dahlias, which you got a sample here, and the herb bed not yet catching the sunlight to my right. We're like one living organism. I was taken over by a feeling of oneness with these gardens and the others that I readily pictured in their patchwork pattern in the side and front yards of our home. I had a sense of similarity and kinship with these enveloping flower beds. Recognizing, as Robin Wall Kimmerer wrote, a lived reciprocity. The time we'd spent together seemed to have 
resulted in a metaphorical intertwining of our roots. We've developed a need for one another, perhaps like the earth is our mother chant, like that chant expresses even a caring for each other. I came by my affinity for gardening honestly. Both my mom and dad were people of the dirt. For many, familial connection brings them to gardening and memory continues to deepen their experience. When I sink my spade in the earth to create a new home for a plant or to remove an invasive one encroaching on a desired plant in a flower garden, not infrequently, my thoughts travel back to the yard of the only home I knew growing up. I can see my dad, sleeves rolled up on the old white dress shirt he so often wore for yard work, a time when he was away from the need to wear oil and grease-laden coveralls that were his workday auto mechanic uniform. He's digging a hole for a new bush he could not resist buying from a local greenhouse or nursery. He always seemed to find a space for another you or barberry or burning bush. When the burning bush at the back of our yard takes on its annual red fall hue, my mind turns to Fred. A petite lady, my mom was a champion weed puller. Pedal pushers, pedal pushers, were her required guard. And I think most of you will know this word. And a babushka adorned her head in the chill of spring and fall. Clearing space around her hosta, flocks, and dahlias seemed to be an almost daily ritual. I cannot pull a stray plant, and I'm unable to call them weeds, and not think of her. I've included hosta, flocks, and especially dahlias in a garden of every home we have owned as a way to honor the memory of that little woman of Swedish farming stock. Now, I almost forgot to mention the clematis. The clematis link and the new lesson learned this year. Another memorable flowering plant from my youth was the deep blue jackmanic clematis that climbed the arbor leading into the flagstone paved breezeway. My mother loved that term, breezeway. <laughs> Between the garage and the house, all built by my dad. This year, the one clematis I've tended almost since the beginning of establishing gardens in the yard of our current home 
when we moved in 13 years ago, appeared to finally succumb to the climbing prairie rose whose vines those of the clematis had been competing with since the prairie rose was planted three years ago. The clematis, which had always been an early bloomer, produced a very small vine late this spring, but no flowers. Then, about two weeks ago, the buds appeared on a short vine, sending a clear message of the tenacity of living things. Don't give up. Seeing them so late, those deep blue memory flowers are especially appreciated this year. Ah, but that climbing prairie rose, a reinforcement of the lesson of patience for a perennial wildflower grower. The rose was part of my plan to transition our gardens to primarily native wildflowers. I had what looked like the perfect, sunny, highly visible spot using the netting I long ago hung at the back of the herb garden between the deck and the shed. So, in October 2020, I prepared holes for the three roses at the bottom of the netting, hopefully leaving enough space for that solitary clematis. I was pleased the roses all survived that first winter and not surprised that the summer of 2021 saw no rosebuds. My hopes were up for the summer of 2022, but while the rose vines were vigorous, not a bud could be found. I decided to temper my optimism this year. Gardening results are far from a guarantee. I checked the vines sporadically, and as summer progressed, the lush vines began to show signs of a leaf-eating invader, but none of a bud. At the time I was ready to record another bust summer, I noticed a small, plump growth that I'd never seen before. There's another, and several more. Buds, happy dance, woo woo! Oh, it took three years, but patience rewarded is a special feeling. My gratefulness was deep. Now, I'm what I call a survival of the fittest gardener. Home-produced compost shoveled into a newly dug hole and sufficient early watering to encourage young roots to take hold is all the help I provide. Once established, I let nature take its course. The same holds true for my annual spring planting of dahlia bulbs saved from the previous fall. 
Over the years, survival reduced what had been six varieties of dahlia in that oval bed to my right to a pink sea of only a nesta variety. And last year, I decided the monochromatic bed could benefit from the type of striking contrast that Robin Wall Kimmerer referenced. I added some Evelyn bulbs. It's a white dahlia variety. It's got a little kiss of lilac coloration in the center and the petal tips. The contrasting between complementary color in this year's bed makes the case for the heightened interest that diversity brings. Looking at that bed, I cannot help but draw another parallel with people. Real stimulation comes not from exchanging thoughts and ideas with like-minded people, but with diverse, open-minded ones. Now, adding Evelyn was a bit of an experiment. And being willing to experiment is one key way to experience the satisfaction that gardening can bring. Again, not unlike life, there are unexpected rewards in trying something new in the garden, perhaps exposing yourself to someone else's method, which for me is not an easy thing to do. The guy who's going to do everything his own way in his own fashion by himself. But I was intrigued by a New York Times article that I read two falls ago about the process of producing new plants from saved wildflowered seeds from your garden. I decided to give it a go. After my wildflower seed heads had dried that fall, I gathered the seeds from about a dozen different varieties into separate envelopes and stored them until early March. It was then, with winter still very much with us, when I planted them in seed trays that I had filled with compost from the backyard pile that I had dug also that previous fall. The trays then went outside on top of the snow on the south side of the house. The gardener's wait began. Through thaw and refreeze, I hoped the seeds were doing their thing. The final melt of spring meant only more waiting. I kept checking for signs of new life. And finally, when nature's clock said it was time, specks of green began to appear. The trays, most of which contained a single variety, varied widely in their germination success. Warming weather brought growing seedlings and the biggest challenge of the process, resisting the gardener's reborn spring instinct to dig holes and plant. <laughs> For the guidance in the article was to allow the new plants to grow in their tray during the entire summer, 
watering when needed, and not plant until fall. Now, while practicing a gardener's patience with the results of last fall's seed gathering, I decided to pull the plug on the application of patience to the raspberry bed. In the four years since I planted it, dreaming of fresh berries mounded on my morning bowl of steel cuts, I had not harvested it enough berries to complement a tablespoon of oatmeal. My raspberry patience had clearly transitioned to foolishness. That sunny section of yard the berryless bushes were occupying was ideal for those sun-loving wildflowers preparing for transplantation from the trays. Now, sometimes gardeners need to be ruthless. The raspberry plant removal was a simple case of doing what had to be done. And after expanding the bed and digging in my standard shovel full of compost for each plant, in early October, the temporarily trained trade plants were moved to their new permanent home. I felt extra springtime excitement this year, an expectation almost unlike any other. The new bed, warmed by the early spring sun, gave evidence of new life around each of last year's darkened stems. I thought it unlikely that we'd see flowers in the first year. Huh. Oh, ye of little faith. Purple cone flowers, prairie blazing stars, sweet black-eyed Susan have bloomed. And this week, the endangered royal catchfly made its red regal appearance. The most abundant and most desired flowers in the garden, the pear that Kimmerer waxed about, the bee and butterfly magnets, New England aster and goldenrod have produced a bounty of buds and will soon show their glorious colors. Now, I'm not certain a gardener should take too much pride in helping seeds fulfill their destiny. But I admit the feeling of success that fills me from trusting the process and creating a new bed of flowers from seeds that I grew to feed pollinators is pretty neat. Lessons of plenty. But they're not what I'm primarily after. For this old stoic, it's enough to feel a genuine gratefulness, a genuine gratefulness for the summer we had, for the sustenance of both the beauty and the miracle the gardens bring me, and the sustenance they provide to bees and birds and butterflies, the reciprocity 
and the promise, the testament of continuation, the dark sticks in the winter to come, the thrusting tops of New England aster and goldenrod, purple coneflower, sweet black-eyed Susan, and milkweed, all supporting seeds heads above the drifted snow. The potential of new life in the spring to come. May it be so. For closing words today,